Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how incomprehensible are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. Romans 11, 33. Aristotle's idea of God was noesis noeseos, thought thinking thought. For the philosopher, God's activity was turned inward upon himself, thinking only of the divine. And neither the contact or knowledge of the world. Aristotle thought such awareness of the finite world would mar God. The popular notion of, the, of God was very different from anyone who's familiar with Greek and Roman philosophy group mythology. Life of the gods was a human soap opera, heavenly soap opera. What a change then when we open up the Bible and we see the God of Revelation, the God whom we believe in. We are first struck by this God in the beginning of the book of Genesis when we read that unlike any other god, he walked with his creation, creator, creature, Adam, in the garden in the cool of the evening. What intimacy, what gracious love. No divine introvert here, no heavenly hermit. But then the story changes. We see Adam hiding from God. After Adam betrayed God's love by eating the forbidden fruit, he and Eve hid from God. But that is the first effect of sin, is it not? To hide from the God who loves us. God then expelled our first parents in the Garden of Paradise, thus drastically changing man's relationship with God. It is naturally impossible for us to have an intimacy, a friendship with God. Try as much as we want, we cannot naturally enter a permanent and a personal relationship with him. Being God and us, there's an infinite gap an unbridgeable chasm which man alone cannot close. But we see otherwise, do we not? What about the apostles and St. Paul? What about the saints? Did they, not, did they not have intimacy with him? They did. What then is the difference? Grace. Grace is the difference. What is grace? The divine life within us. The life, the very nature of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Man on his own cannot restore the intimate friendship that Adam had with God.
Man comes into this world devoid of that friendship. And as he travels the span of his life and continues to sin and sin and sin, thus alienating himself more and more from God. Man with his many sins attached to him like barnacles on a boat is helpless to do anything. He can't do anything. But God can. So God woos man. He smiles upon him with a loving smile. And that smile warms the soul up. Like the sun warms the soil in May. Man then invites God in. But even God is responsible for that. He moves us to invite him in. But we are free to say no. Grace is rendered in the New Testament by the Greek word charis. And it has two meanings. On very special occasions, such as New Year's or his birthday, the emperor would give gracious sums of money to his soldiers. The word used to describe this generous gift of money was charis, because it was a free gift. The emperor did not have to do it at all. He owed nothing to his soldiers. This is the first meaning of the word. The second meaning of charis is illustrated in the books, the Iliad and the Odyssey. It means that quality of corporeal beauty, which gives charm, attractiveness, and lovability to the one possessing it. God looks upon us with love. And if we allow him to, he enters our being, our inner being, remaking us, remodeling us, transforming us, producing in us a reflection of his own divine nature. We are reborn, remade. We become a new creation. We are consortes divine nature, as St. Peter says in his second epistle, shares in the divine nature. God's love has made us lovable, has made, God's holiness has made us holy. God himself has somehow made us divine. In the play, The Man of La Mancha, Don Quixote falls in love with a prostitute by the name of Aldanza. He is so taken by her that he falls in love with her and does not see the wretched state that she is in. But he views her as he sees her.
and he sees her as she should be. And he calls her Dulcinea. Aldanza rejects the name and protests his love and mocks Don Quixote and his vision of her as a virgin. But Don Quixote will not give up. He insists that she is what he believes her to be. And gradually, ever so gradually, she begins to change until she becomes Dulcinea. If human love, which is finite, can affect and alter the one who is the object of that love, how greater can be the change wrought by a love which is both steadfast and divine? The fathers of the early church explain this transformation in several ways. Some saw the Holy Spirit, who was like the engine of the divine indwelling, as a painter. He paints his own image on the soul, not by using a paintbrush, but by applying himself. Some compare the change in man to the opening of a bottle of perfume. A bottle of rose perfume is opened and the scent of roses diffuses itself into every corner, every nook and cranny of the room, bestowing on the entire room the attractive smell of roses. Saint Cyril of Alexandria says it is like a seal with a rose cut into it. The seal is the Holy Spirit. The wax is the soul. The raw image which comes out of the wax is created grace. The indwelling within us of the triune God is called uncreated grace because it is God loving us. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit takes us into fellowship with him. This makes us pleasing to God and we become holy. The state of being pleasing to God, of being holy, is a result of God loving us and is called created grace, or the grace of the just, or as we know it from the Catechism, sanctifying grace. God told Moses in Leviticus, you shall be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy. And Jesus said to us, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The Protestant reformers thought otherwise. Martin Luther rejected the doctrine of inner regeneration 
and said that original sin has, had not only wounded the human nature, but had corrupted it. Today's heresy is heard most often on TV until by televangelists. The individual sinner is rotten to the core because of his sins. Nothing, nothing can be done to change it. But if you accept Jesus as your personal savior and invite him into your life, he will cover, not remove, he will cover your sins, your ugly sins. And then when the father looks at you, he does not see the putrid heap of flesh that you are, but he sees the blood of his son, divine son, and he is appeased. But this is contrary to scripture. St. Paul in 2 Corinthians states, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old order has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We are changed. We are transformed within, from within like Aldanza. We become pleasing to God. We become Dulcinea. St. John tells us in his first epistle, he who abides in God, he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. The eternal God who dwells within us makes us partakers of his own divine nature. St. Ignatius of Antioch called Catholics God-bearers. He wrote, how can we be sharers of the divine nature if God does not dwell within us? The awesome immensity of the divine indwelling and the unbelievable power of grace was best expressed by St. Thomas Aquinas, who said, the grace of a single man is a higher good than the natural perfection of the whole universe. The whole universe. This means the beauty of the Grand Canyon, the awesomeness of the Swiss Alps, the splendor of the Milky Way, pales, pales, when compared to one man in the state of grace. He can be poor and unemployed. He can be in poor health and be an invalid. He can be mentally retarded. But if he is in the state of grace, he is of greater value than the entire, not part, the entire natural universe. What is most puzzling is that we who have this triune God dwelling and working within us, we who are divinized by grace, we who are God bearers, 
behave and act as we do. By ourselves, in our families, at work, at school, do we act and speak as people who have within them the Blessed Trinity? St. John of the Cross, thinking of this, lamented, O oh, souls created for those great things and called thereto, what are you doing? What are you doing? St. Augustine said, Although you are on earth, you are in heaven, if you love God. Ask anyone to point to heaven, and he will probably point upwards. But when the subject came up to our blessed Lord, he pointed to his audience. The kingdom of God is within you. This is the best kept secret of grace. The kingdom of heaven is not out there, it's in here. The life of grace and at death it'll be revealed. You may be buried under untold drudgery may have problems without number, but you carry within you the God of the universe. What is heaven? To see God face to face, that same God who is now within you. When asked what grace is, we can give the answer St. Thomas Aquinas gave. Grace, grace is nothing else than in us the beginning of glory. Love is a light burden that gladdeneth young and old. Love is that blood-red winter's rose which blossometh in the cold. He that giveth all to love hath all the heart can hold. Thou that on the cross of love was crowned love of love is king, melt this iron winter, Lord, to love's eternal spring. Hold and fold us beneath the shadows of thy wings. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.